ever read a book that ends each chapter with a cliffhanger? Okay, where the story suddenly cuts off. This is what we are reading at night right now, and every chapter ends with a cliffhanger, and our kids constantly want more. We're not really sure if it is a great choice for bedtime. The chapters are long, and they end with suspense. You know how it goes. Just as the bridge that he is walking over starts to collapse, next chapter. Or just as she quietly rounds the corner and she sees someone's shadow, next chapter. Or just as the phone rings and it's him. You come to the most exciting part in the story and then something happens and you don't get to hear the end of it. It makes our kids go crazy. It makes you go crazy. It says, Dad, just one more chapter. And if you've developed to our middle child, thanks, Dad. Can Mom come in and snuggle? And guess what that question is then? Right? You know how that works. Hey, Mom, uh, can you read me a chapter? Not mentioning that Dad already read one, right? There it is. <laughs> we know how that works, all right? And how hard it is to have that buildup of the story and not to know it how it ends. Imagine if the Bible was written that way. All right, think about that. Suppose that you knew that God created the world, that the mess we made by our sin, that you knew what God planned to do to save his people by sending his son to conquer sin, but then suddenly the story ends. It's cut off. We would not know for sure whether God wins or not. We wouldn't know what happens to Satan. We don't know where we will go when we die. How awful would it be if the Bible just ended there? We would actually be filled with worry and fear, not knowing the things are going to happen in the end. But thanks be to God, right? He's told us the end of the story. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, which we're looking at this morning, verses 13 through 18, we have this verse. I'm supposed to click along. That was the Bible, and here's the verse. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. If you remember everything about Thessalonians, you probably only remember at least one thing, and that is Paul has been saying through the whole letter, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And then you come to this book, and this chapter, and this verse, and it says what? We don't want you to not know. We don't want you to not be uninformed. Paul believes it's very important for you to know the end of the story. Like your special blanket at night. Who in here has a special blanket at night to go to sleep with? Don't be afraid. <laughs> There's even some adults that are like, yeah, I got that one. I understand that. Your special blankie provides you comfort. It provides you security and good theology. What you know about God is like your special blankie. It provides you comfort because of what you get to know about our God. What do we know? We know from these verses we're going to look at that Christ is going to come back. To provide comfort and security for you. We know that the kingdom of God will be established upon the whole earth. We know that evil will be judged. And we know that those who trusted in Christ for their salvation, even though they die, yet shall they live forever with him. How kind and gracious and good for God to let us know the end of the story. 
Would you consider those truths as a comfort for you as we sing this next song? I will rise. Think about how good it is to know that one day you will rise. Stand and sing. Honest, exactly. And actually, I wanted the kids to answer that, right? So every question here, are we afraid that if we talk about death, especially with our kids in the service, this has been about a a lot of prayer this week, are we going to scare our kids to death? Yes. (laughs) We're hoping that the teddy bear will encourage you along the way. Death does have a sting. The Bible does say that death has a sting. And for many of our young people, they have lost the feeling of that sting because they have been removed from it. In her book, The American Way of Death Revisited, Jessica Mitford shows how morticians are trained not to mention mortality. Here's what that means, kids. When you go to a funeral home, death is a swear word. It's a no-no word. You would expect it there. But in our culture today and how we have removed death from our homes and into hospice houses or hospitals and all those kinds of things, we now don't like to talk about death. We no longer have death certificates. We have vital statistic forms. We no longer have funeral directors, or we have funeral directors, and no longer do we have morticians or undertakers. And they oversee services or celebrations of life, not funerals, after which the deceased, not the dead, have expired, not died, and they're interred, not buried, in memorial parks, not graveyards. It's funny, when you go to one and you hear this line, you will begin to pick up on how they refer to the loved one, and they refer to the person by name, not the dead. This has not always been the case. The New England Primer was a popular resource for educating children in the 18th century during school, right? And one of its features that helped kids memorize the ABCs was by matching the ABCs with a two-line rhyme and a picture that was inspired by that rhyme. So, for example, we have L there. You might be able to make it out. It included a verse about the lion and the lamb, right? Uh, A rhyme about Zacchaeus for Z. So far, so good, right? These rhymes, much like our own, A is for alligator, B is for ball, C is for cat. Good. All right. right. You got me. All right. Good. We're we're worth it. And and all of those alphabetical letters and all of those rhymes, though, there was another theme. The picture next to the T was a skeleton holding an hourglass in one hand and a reaper's sith in the other. And the verse goes, time cuts down all, both great and small. The letter X reinforced the message, picturing an elaborately dressed figure on some kind of funeral pyre with this rhyme, Xerxes the Great did did die, and so must you and I. Nothing like teaching our kids the alphabet. (laughs) But Y is the most scary of all and the most jarring. It is a picture of a skeleton, but this time holding an arrow pointed at the body of a small child. And what does it say? Youth forward flips, death sooneth nips. What are they doing? They are teaching their children to read while also reminding them that they would die. Church, we must give up pretending 
or even believing that we are not going to die. The mortality rate throughout all of history has been 100%. Death is inevitable. Death is universal. And here's the point. The way to deal with death is not to try to avoid it, but to use death as a standard of evaluation. What should death evaluate? If you went through Ecclesiastes with us, you should say death should evaluate everything, but especially your religion. If you are here this morning and you are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian, death is one of the great ways to judge whether what you believe in, what your religion is, is either dependable or futile by how it confronts the power of death. Does what you believe in have the power to confront the universal and inevitable power of death? Listen to even how the Bible argues across these lines in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. The Word of God says, and if Christ has not been raised, what is it? Your faith is futile because it's powerless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ also have perished. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. If your religion does not have the ability to deal with death, you of all people are most to be pitied. It's Paul's argument. What should death evaluate what we believe in the Thessalonian believers that we're looking at here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, they want to know what happens to believers when they die, especially what happens to them before Christ comes again. And Paul's answer to the Thessalonians and to us is that we need to face up to the truth of death. And if you do have the courage to face up to the truth of death, it can lead you to a deeper hope in life by not avoiding it And also not just accepting it. It is not the Lion King circle of life. Death is your friend. Death is natural. Someone once said this. Death acceptance is just as dishonest as death avoidance. It's natural. Or no, no, don't talk about that. We can talk about anything else with kids. Just don't talk about this subject on a Sunday morning with kids in the sanctuary. Either of those options are not biblical options. you know what Christ did when he went to Lazarus' tomb? It says that he was vehemently moved. You know what it really means? He was mad. Christ was mad because the Bible storyline pictures death not as a friend, but death is an enemy. Christ also wept at Lazarus' tomb. And if you've been to any of our funeral services here, we often say he even knew that he was going to raise Lazarus in moments to come. And yet he still wept and was broken over what death had done. Kids, we're going to try to do a new kind of prayer this morning. We don't do them often. But this new kind of prayer is called a complaining prayer. It's called a prayer of lament. What is biblical lament? It is complaining to God at the beginning, but then letting it lead you to trust in God. If churches all believe every Sunday that everyone comes here hurting. Why do churches spend all their time only with victory songs? Where is the songs in the minor key? Where are the prayers that acknowledge that you can come here broken and hurting and sad? 
This has to be a place where Christians more than anyone else in the world say you can come here sad, you can come here broken, you can come here confused. And I'm going to read a couple of verses, and they're all double digits. Psalms 22, Psalms 44, Psalms 77. And listen to how maybe you could learn in your homes tonight, kids, how to learn how to complain to God when you don't know what's going on. But those complaints need to ultimately turn you into hope and into trust. Let's pray. God, we begin by calling you Father. You're not distant. You're not abstract. You're not just an idea. You're a person. And we come this morning, many of us distressed, many of us even troubled, like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, we can even come overwhelmed, even mad. God, what you have saw fit to bring our congregation through this year, we even come with our questions. Questions that we want to ask we do want to ask them humbly. We know that Job had a lot of questions too. We thank you for your rhetorical questions back. But God, we thank you for these psalms that do show that from our point of view, often we don't know why did this have to happen. We trust you with that question. We also can ask, Lord, how could you allow this? We could even ask you, where are you in the midst of this? Sometimes our struggles, how long the road has been. The fog settled in just like two nights ago on the road that I lived in, barely able to see a step in front of us. Lord, on this side of the cross, we know grief, we know sorrow. And we thank you that you are well acquainted with all of those. We began our service and there's no God like you. Both exalted, but there also is no God like you that chose to humble himself. There is no God that has scars. But our God does. Lord, as we look forward with eyes of faith, and you said everything right, we thank you that heaven is the negation of all these things. There's no more pain. No more tears. No more death. God, we have great hope because we have a great hope in Jesus. We thank you for his victory over the grave. And that before there is the crown, there is the cross. God, I pray that you would comfort your people. Lord, as they cling to a rugged cross, not a, not a gold cross, not, not a polished cross, but as they cling to the rugged cross, that they would 
feel your touch. They would hear your voice. And they would know that you carried the heaviest end of the cross. We ask that we could comfort and encourage one another with these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A little bit of complaining, a little bit of trusting is all because we know the Bible says that death is an enemy. Death is not a friend. God created man and woman with such unique value that every single person in here is irreplaceable. Every single person in here is sacred. The Bible says that you kids are made in the image of God, male and female equally in the image of God. And so when death enters the storyline of the Bible, death enters as an intrusion, as an invader, as an enemy in God's perfect world. Death is not natural. It is a punishment. Kids, what did I just say? Death is not natural. Death is what? Turn to your neighbor and say, death is a punishment. And it is a punishment that is perfectly fitted for the crime. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We were originally meant to trust our Creator, We were meant to follow his instructions because we are his creation. But we got tempted with a chance to be like God, that we could decide what we wanted to do, that we could decide who we wanted to be, and with that chance, we took it. And God sends the curse of death. It is a punishment, kids, adults, to human pride because death says You are not the center of the universe. You are not indispensable. You are not too important to die. Where we thought that we could be like God and the most important, the most indispensable, and we could order the whole universe around what we wanted to be and what we wanted to be like, death is the exact punishment for the exact crime of of pride. So listen to what death says about you. You're not the center of the universe. You're a usurper that deserves to be put in its place. Death is a punishment for a problem. You trying to be God. And it shows you that you're not because you're not eternal. You you, you die. Friends, we have to start this morning with death is an enemy. Death is a punishment for a problem. But here's a hint. If death is not a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution, right? If this truly is our greatest problem, then now we get to say, how much more can we praise Christ? Amen? How much more can you praise Christ? You can praise Christ right now with saying you love him above everything else in one small way. You can humbly reflect on Emily Allen. She's going to play Shout to the North, and the lyrics go like this. We've been through the fire. We've been through the rain. We've been refined by the power of his name. She's going to play that. We're going to worship by reflecting on those lyrics, but we're also going to worship in giving because we say, God, we trust you. This is just temporary stuff. Look at my life. We don't have a house. We don't have clothing, and yet you've blessed us with so much right now, and it just shows that those things are temporary. So we want to invest in people in eternity, and so that's why we give. We want to invest in people in eternity. 
Not that our family is the greatest example of that. We're certainly not. You guys have taught us more about giving because any need we've had, there's been 50 of you that have come to us and said, how can we help? Right? Because your stuff doesn't matter to you because you love people. So let's have the ushers come forward and let's give to eternity and let's worship in eternity as Emily reminds us that we can shout to the north. Thanks, Emily. The resurrection. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, uh, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. God will bring. Hey, can you bring that to me over here? Hey, can you bring that here? This is a dead person. God says, hey, bring it. Hey, kids, can, can, can you bring that to dad? For God? Hey, hey, just, just bring that with me. Amen? Paul does not say here, don't grieve. Did you notice that? If you're a Christian, if you come to church, Paul is not saying put on that smiley face, put on the plastic. No, he says it is okay to grieve. He doesn't say don't grieve. Paul expects people to grieve, especially after the loss of a loved one. That's the whole context here. But he says there is a different kind of grief between people who have no hope and people who do have hope. So here's the logic. Honesty about death should be an arrow that points you to grief. Honesty about death, that it's not a friend, that it's not natural, that it's not to be avoided, should lead you to grief, should lead you even at times to anger, being mad. And that grief should then also point you to hope. So honesty to grief, grief to hope, and we have some great prayer requests now, kids, for us to practice this with. And so would you join me in prayer as we do God, I need you prayers. Dear God, we need you as we come before you with these requests. We pray, Lord, for Nehemiah, one of our missionary kids who just broke both arms and is in cast. God, we pray, Lord, for his healing. We pray for his mom and dad and for their perseverance uh, in this. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would heal his bones and strengthen him. God, we pray for those uh, that are homeless. We see another element of our brokenness in our world as our cold weather shelters close this weekend. God, we pray for safety for the homeless. And we pray, Lord, for Ernie and Jim and many others that want to come together in a meeting to figure out how better to care for our homeless and conquered. God, we thank you for uh, the Lomans and, and the Davises and how they are constantly there at the Corbin Center on Saturday. I thank you for how they love the least of these. God, we thank you for the least of these can be homeless. The least of these, Lord, can be uh, our foster children. We thank you for so many that have opened their homes and have cared for people, uh, whether it's been a day or whether it's adoption. God, we thank you, Lord, for our church, that they have true religion. God, we need you even in our animals. We pray, Lord, for Lillian Hart's dog, Rocket, as it has an infection. God, we, we pray, Lord, for spiritual needs as Sue Morton asks for God to bring light, the answers for her son and for his wife. Lord, I pray for Rick and Paula to come alongside her and to be counselors and to pray with her and for her to feel the prayer of the saints 
in that specific request. It seems to have more unsaid than what we know at this point. We also pray for Sue's co-worker, a good friend, to ask God to guide her and give her strength in his direction while so many are against her. God, we pray, Lord, for Bob Shaw. We thank you for him being here and the Shaw family. We pray for continued prayer for his brother-in-law, Joe. Uh, three more tumors have been found in his brains, and he's at the 14-month of his 14-month prognosis. God, we pray for eyes of faith. We pray for love and for courage and, and for, for Bob and Katie to find ways that can connect the gospel uh, to hope if Bob's brother-in-law, Joe, doesn't know you yet. God, we thank you for the Duguay family. And God, we ask that you would intervene in so many areas that, that they have heavy on their heart. We pray for Ken and his family as his brother Dan passed away this morning after a long illness. We thank you for his faith in Christ. We pray for Ken and Floretta as maybe they, they plan uh, this funeral. And we pray, Lord, that uh, that time just like this service, would point people to eternity, point people to the problem that we can't avoid, and would ultimately, Lord, point to the glorious solution that we have in Christ alone. God, thank you for Lillian DeHart leaving Concord Hospital and arriving at Merrimack Valley. Thank you for that. We thank you for Jody Sotolero being here, seeing her this week, and for her card of encouragement for her health. We pray for her voice to completely recover so that she can yell and direct all those at the state warehouse that she manages. We pray for that, Lord. God, we pray for... Uh, there's just some I can't get through. All right. Pray for Martha. All right, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so because of the resurrection, we have hope that we can pray to a God who hears our prayers, is able to do things, and because there's life even beyond this grave. So I just want to put a little nasty little jab in there about prosperity gospels. I'm not a mean preacher, but prosperity gospel, that this life is where you have health and where you have wealth. They can't do funerals because ultimately your health and your wealth they go away when you die. In a gospel-preaching church, we can do funerals with hope because of the resurrection. That's the whole logic of this passage here. We need a hope that death will not lock down, will not knock down. So I need two kids. It's Mason's birthday. Is he here? All right, bring it, Mason. Come on. I know he's an elder son. You can send me an email about favoritism. I'll delete it, but um, <laughs> go ahead and send it. All right, um, all right we need somebody that's willing to compete that's his age. How old are you now? Happy birthday. Seven. seven. Any other seven-year-olds in this church? Seven, not eight, not 17, seven. You're going to win. <laughs> All right, do you want to compete against an older kid or a younger kid? I know. What does that mean? Do you want to compete against a six-year-old or an eight-year-old? Eight, all right. Any eight-year-olds, raise your hand. All right, Caleb, come on up. All right, come on over here, guys. You don't usually get to do this. We're going to walk on things. Yep, we're hopping up here, Mom and Dad. Get your photos out. Yep, climb up. Keep coming, and you're getting up here. There we go. 
Uh, yeah, there's a balloon. No, seriously, you're going to want your photos for this one. All right. <laughs> we need... Thank you. All right, so we need a hope that death will not topple down. And there is a great game that we like in youth group, and it is like an office game. Actually, Wendy and Allison, they do this all the time in the office, and I tell them to get back to work. <laughs> all right. But these reams of paper all have different things that we put our hope in, that death ultimately can knock down. And we need to find something we can put our hope in that death won't knock down. So will results last after we die? Nope. We oftentimes hope in our work, we hope in pleasure, as fleeting as that is, we look for wisdom to be able to how to do things better, to be more efficient, I won't do that again. We look for purpose in our life. Some of us look for power, whether in a church or in employment, we often can distract ourselves with entertainment, we can accumulate wealth, we can look for companionship, results, oh, that might be a duplicate companionship, or even fighting for justice. So we have all these things, 11 rims of paper each, two of them here. We have balloons. We also have on these, here's the one. On one of them, the very last one, men, you have tape to it, tax. Yeah, this is safe, okay? So you're up high and you have tax. What you're going to do, go ahead and stand up. What you're going to do is you're going to build dominoes, just like those dominoes there. Go ahead and stand up, all the way up. Don't fall off the edge. Come this way. <laughs> yeah, I know you. <laughs> All right. So you're going to race. You're going to set up your reams of paper like dominoes, okay? And they have to be even however you want to space them out. This requires some wisdom, all right? And as you line them up, you're going to come back here. You're going to hit them, and they have to fall down, and those tacks have to land on that balloon. First person to pop their balloon wins this huge jar of candy. Tell your parents you're welcome. All right. Second place, still as good, Pop Rocks Fun Dip. Change your color of your tongue. All right. So to make it fair, we have to set this back up again. All right. So Mason, you're over here with these reams of paper. All right. And Caleb, here are your reams of paper. We'll put those over here for you. Actually, you know what? This would just be easier the other way. Anybody want to help? <laughs> That's your last one, okay? You want to make sure that you end with that. Mason, here you go. Here's yours with this awesome tree in the way. Let's get a little closer to the edge for me. No, it's... <laughs> All right. Did you think you're going to see nine? Are you scared of... <laughs> Are you scared of eight? Nope. You should be scared of seven because seven, eight, nine. Yeah. All right. There we go. All right, so you're building yours this way. You're building yours this way. Are you ready? Yeah. On your marks. Get set, go. Got to get all 11. You can cheer. 
You, you got to get all 11. All 11. Start spacing them in there. <laughs> oh. There we go. Patient, steady hand. Oh. Flip it over if you don't like it. That's what Dad said. All right, and then make sure that tack is at the very end. Oh. Is that tack going to hit the balloon? Let's see. Oh! <laughs> All right. Great job, guys. Come on down. One. Yeah, who needs a hand? All right, we'll give you, we'll give you some candy. All right. All right. That's for you. Happy birthday. Good job, guys. Watch the guitars. All right, so, I mean, that was a long time for the point of we need something that death cannot topple down, and we need to know that death says things about who we are and what we hope in, okay? And we have to be ready for the solution, and the solution is in the clicker, which <laughs> the joke's on me. On the stage? Yeah, that narrows it down, and it's black. All right, next one. Well, just keep going like that. All right. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans 7.24, we'll progress it again. If you don't mind, Ralph, go for it. Romans 7.24, here is Paul's desperation. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the only question that we have left when we confront death with honesty. It is not what. It is a question of who. Who will deliver me? We need someone that we can lock on to. Not an ideal, but a living, breathing, resurrected person. Next slide. Romans 7.25 says, Thanks be to who? God, a living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What I was amazed at in 1 Thessalonians this week is that when Jesus, thank you Christian, when Paul refers to Jesus in this passage, he refers to him by his human name, Jesus, not just Lord, because he wants you to know the resurrection is based upon a historical figure. Kids, why is your faith going to make it in this world? Your faith is built and grounded in history. It is credible. You can believe it. There really was a Jesus, and he really did biologically raise from the dead in a bodily resurrection. Not just a Lord, but he is Jesus. So thanks be to God through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Those are his titles, but it's based upon a historical fact of who he is. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, next slide, please. I guess I have the clicker now. Thank you, Christian. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For since we believe that who? Jesus died. Also notice that in this passage, everyone else that dies, he says they, they, they fall asleep. They're asleep, they're asleep, they're asleep. But when it talks about Jesus, what does it say? He died. 
We, we want you to know that he really died in the tomb three days. Crazy how Paul changes this, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, okay? And so the reason why we do not grieve as others who don't have hope is that we believe in a man who died, was buried in a grave, and walked out. That's why we don't grieve as others that don't have hope. It is not based upon our technique it is not trying to keep a sip up of her lip. It is not trying to, you know, keep your head back. The tears don't flow. Our reason why we don't grieve is not a technique. It is a theology. It is a theology that we hold in a real person, Jesus Christ. So here's the logic. Whatever happened to Jesus is what's going to happen to you. Amen? Whatever happened to Jesus, that's verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What happened to Jesus will happen to you. If you're not alive, when Jesus comes again, you're going to die just like he died, but you're going to be raised just like he was raised. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 57 is our famous passage that asks, O death, where is your sting? The exact same thing that Lillian and Isaac just did in a skit for us. And you know how this verse is translated in the Greek? Na, 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 na. That's exactly what it means, okay? Paul is taunting. Paul is making fun of death because of the victory in Christ. O death, where is your sting? Stick your tongue out, do the ear thing. I mean, all of that, that's what Paul's doing here. And George Herbert, who wrote the same uh, skit that Lillian and Isaac did, also wrote this. Oh, that was my picture. <laughs> you can do that. But here's what George Herbert wrote. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel made him a gardener. Isn't that good? Now, kids, let me show you how this truly changes how you grieve. Many of us in New England have small farms. And what I learned last week in my small group is that many people raised two turkeys around, maybe right about now, I don't know when, but they raised them. And they called them Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> two turkeys every year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And in our small group, Mike Tutko profoundly said that if I had to choose between which turkey I was going to be, now he didn't have to offer this, okay, he just <laughs> did, okay, I would choose Thanksgiving because I would not want to be going around hunting and pecking and eating for the next month knowing what was going to happen to me. Small group, and I'm like, this is profound. You know, I mean, this is what our small, if you're not in a small group, join one, all right? We have some open seats. But little did he know that actually Blaise Pascal, a great philosopher, pictured the threat of death just like what Mike said. But he pictured it like this. Each of us is a condemned prisoner in a line of executed criminals so you see the guy go before you he gets his last meal and you know what happens to him and so when it comes time for your last meal it's really hard to enjoy it because your death was foreshadowed by the guy in front of you you get that and here's his point blaze pascal it's really hard to enjoy life when in adam our death has been foreshadowed. The Bible says, in Adam all die. 
You go to a funeral. Why does it create sobriety? Because you picture yourself there. I remember being in a youth group and wanting to teach a lesson about this, and I asked Brian Heath if I could borrow a casket. I guess they don't just let you borrow caskets. There's all kinds of regulations about that. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a casket in youth group, and I wanted to put a mirror in it so that when they looked over the edge in, they saw themselves. All of us do that when we go to a funeral. We see ourselves. Our death is foreshadowed, but here's the hope in this passage. In Christ, your life is foreshadowed. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. We see our victory because he won the grave. So no matter where you are right now in your journey, whatever great pain or disappointment, grief or death itself, guess what? We've already been there in Christ, and we are, already, and we are headed where he has already gone. We don't fear death by the world's logic. Oh, it's natural, it's circle of life. We don't fear death because it's been defeated. We don't fear death because we're going to deny it. We don't fear death because we're going to despair over it. We don't fear death because it's been defeated. And there is no better illustration than what Donald Gray Barnhouse did when his wife passed away. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia, was either on his way driving his kids to or on their way from the funeral of their mother, his wife. The youngest of the children was in the car, and he was trying to help. At one point, he looked up and he said, do you see that truck? Do you see the shadow of that truck? Would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And the youngest kid said, by the shadow. And Donald Barnhouse said, because Jesus was hit by the truck of death, your mother only had to go through the shadow. Let's put those truths into our hearts by singing this great song the teens have put together. You will never let go of me. Benefit to us, how does it actually uh, encourage us don't think of heaven as an abstract place with just harps and chubby angels and golden streets. Think about heaven in terms of being with a person and hear these words. Chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. It's a personal place, the personal Savior where he knows you by name. And how does the resurrection bring you hope for today? It's our final illustration for the kids. It's a telescope. There are some things like the promises of heaven and the promises of re resurrection that just seem so far away. How is it going to help me today with my broken relationships, death, sickness, disease, well, when you lock on to the person of Christ and you see his promises, things that you could not see with the naked eye, but with a telescope, with the eyes of faith, what, what happens? All of a sudden, something some, so far away fills up all of the vision of your eye, and now Christ becomes blessedly real to you. Do you really want to have a hope that is able to last through all of life's grief? Don't avoid death. Don't deny it. Don't despair over it. Lock hold of your resurrected Savior who defeated death, 
who you will always be with for eternity. Encourage one another with those words. You be with the Lord. Amen? It isn't heaven unless he's there. Amen? We'd love to talk to you about how you can know Christ as your Savior and for eternity. This was a definitely a scatterbrained kind of time. We hope you enjoyed the ride and taught the sobriety of death, but also the hope that's in Christ. If you'd love to talk to us at the door, we'd love to do that with you. Sunday school starts at 9.30. God bless.